Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, depending on the time zone you're in. Um, this is Frank with the V Brown Bag. Today is November 3rd, and this is the day where we kick off our VCP6 uh, CMA session. So we will start with the section one of the blueprint, a general overview of the exam today. And then we're basically going to cover the blueprints. The session is going to be recorded. And I'll go ahead and share my screen now. If you have any questions during um, the presentation, um, either raise your hand, unmute yourself, or uh, use the chat to post the question. I will most likely not see the questions all the time, so I'll check every now and then when we have some breaks uh, in the slides to see if we have anything there um, that I need to answer. Let me just check if that really worked, because I haven't done this in a while. That should show the screen now. So for those of you who don't know me yet, um, my name's Frank Escars Bixel. Um, I'm at Spixel on Twitter. I blog at um, spixel.eu. And I'm kind of a certification addict. Um, I was a bit bored in 2014. So I basically took all the major recaps before they retired the VCAP DTA, which is the one I'm still missing. And <laughs> I'm very eagerly waiting for the VCIX exam. From a general overview um, of the certification, we are going to cover the section one of the blueprint. The slide deck will be available later, so you don't actually need to write down all the links here. But um, the learning plan for the, uh, the blueprint, essentially, for the exam um, can be found under the link. The exam time itself will be a total of 100 minutes with 85 questions. Pricing point is at $225 US dollars, that is, um, and will be converted into your local currency, usually. If you're a non English or non-native English speaker in a either non-English native country, you'll, you should get an automated 30-minute uh, extension. Uh, if you're in an English-speaking country, you'll need to drop Pearson View an email. Um, all the exams are proctored uh, through Pearson View. The passing score is 300 for this exam, like with any other VCTs out there. The actual description, what a 300 out of 500 is, um, is very good at uh, Joshua Andrews' blog. So if you follow that link, you'll see how VMware actually scores their exams. It's a sliding scale. Depending on the questions you'll be getting, some questions are harder, some questions are easier, and you're always going to get a mix on the exam. You basically could get a easier exam than another participant, 
but the scoring uh, would outweigh that. So the exam is always scored in a very fair way. And basically, the section one covers a couple of objectives. It's an introductory section, so it walks you through the vRealize additions and features. It's an install and upgrade components type of theme. It wants some information about vCloud connector. Um, general vRealize automation center settings, and the combination of vRealize automation with, um, together with vCloud AI. So from a versions and feature integration point of view, the vRealize suite basically comes in two flavors. Within the two flavors, you will have two more methods to actually license vRealize automation. And they are very comprehensively described on the actual VMware website. So let's just take a quick look here. Essentially, if you're buying the whole suite, you have several products included in the suite. You have vRealize automation. You have vRealize operations manager. And what used to be ITBM, you have vRealize business standard. You have the advanced and enterprise options. And essentially, from a vRealize automation point of view, the difference there is that you don't have the vRealize application services in the advanced edition. That is only included in the enterprise edition, meaning basically platform as a service can only be achieved with the Ember functionality on the actual enterprise edition. From a vRealize operations point of view, operations manager, application middleware and database monitoring basically describes the license um, for those uh, applications for the Hyperic agent. So all the functionality in terms of forecasting, in terms Actual monitoring is there, but the Hyperic agents uh, to monitor on an application aware level, they are only included in the enterprise edition. OS level change, configuration, and regular compliance management basically refers to um, the infrastructure na uh, navigator, which is only included in the enterprise edition, and also the configuration manager. Another objective, basically, in this section is to map customer requirements towards the addition of the vRealize suite that you would recommend. So basically, what you need to learn for the exam is where are the dots missing on this matrix. For business insight, it's basically the service level management, infrastructure navigator, advanced hyperic agents, and application services. I wouldn't personally learn all of the checkboxes that are in common, only study the differences. What's important to know is that actually the different products of the suite can be licensed differently again. So the suite is a whole suite of all the products. 
you essentially can also buy the products in a standalone version. And sometimes these standalone versions then come with what you would call a standard license. Um, this is more for a test-death scenario. Um, it comes with very limited functionality. For an actual pro uh, production environment, you would want to have either the advanced edition or the enterprise edition. Both editions come in two license flavor styles. You can have um, per CPU or per processor licenses or and per operating system license. And the main difference um, that I found while uh, working together with customers who used the uh, licensing models were the amount of endpoints you can actually have with the specific licenses. So we basically were wondering, why are we missing so many blueprint types um, in this environment when we do have an enterprise license uh, that, that is not limited on, on anything even. So we had a completely perpetual license, but what we were actually missing was that the per operating system license is required for certain types of blueprints that are basically not under the category of virtual. So we wouldn't see physical instances, for example. Physical provisioning was not possible with a per-processor license, which actually makes sense because VMware does not know what type of machine you want to provision to. So how do you license that? Is that a two-socket server? Is that a four-socket server? VMware doesn't know. Only you know. So from a licensing perspective, VMware would license the operating system running on that. Same is true for the cloud blueprint. So that can actually be an actual project gotcha. The next thing I want to explain is the vRealize business standard key capabilities. So no matter which version of the licenses of vRealize uh, automation you're buying or of the vRealize suite, they will always come with um, the realized business. And this is directly for the exam. It's checkboxes to learn. So what the realized business does is from the NIST um, definition of cloud, a cloud service is only a cloud service if it is actually a measured service. So you need either showback or an actual chargeback. And vRealize Business, or it was called ITBM uh, in, in former versions, is the tool that allows you to do that in the vRealize Business Suite. So you can get current cost and utilization levels of blueprints. You can basically have a decision matrix in vRealize Business with pricing pulled in on a regular basis to actually see if it is cheaper or more expensive to host the workload in-house on your private cloud, to choose a hybrid cloud model, or to actually deploy the workload on a public cloud. It lets you create cost profiles for that as well. So you can actually say, 
my SSD array, my all flash array, will have a certain type of cost. It does pull in standard industry values, but you can simply overwrite them. It gets you financial cost of business units, essentially. So in vRealize uh, automation, you will create business units, and it will give you an overview, or it will give the IT director an overview of how much each business unit is actually using. And it will also support costing of non-ESXi physical servers, which you are managing by vRealize automation. More documentation can actually be found in the vRealize business um, standard um, install and setup menu. And I'm a very huge fan of the VMware hands-on labs. So if you want to do a hands-on lab that explains vRealize business to you, um, follow the link to lab 2013. Um, that is not actually lab called lab 2013, though. Um, if I copy this real quick. And this hates me right now. So, uh, it's the HOL SDC sixteen eleven. I key cost transparency. Uh, transparency with vRealize business. So this lab will basically have several labs in there. Um, how do you actually uh, calculate the cost? How do you do pricing and showback? And then also give you some more features of the actual um, advanced and enterprise edition, which are available for vRealize business. Very nice lab to use. The next step on the agenda then is the application services. And application services, we, we learned already that this is only available in the enterprise edition. And application services will basically allow you to implement a platform as a service functionality into your um, private cloud. So it basically automates and manages the life cycle of multi-tier applications. It allows you to standardize, to deploy, configure, and upload, uh, update these application blueprints then, which makes it very easy to scale complex applications. Instead of having to tear down physical environments. All you need to do for to, to see if a patch is breaking your multi-tier application. If you have a three-tier application, um, your database tier, your uh, data management layer tier, so your presentation level, 
and um, the actual business logic. Imagine you have a security patch or an uh, update on the, let's say, Nginx or Apache server, and you want to see if your application services are, or if your application is breaking due to that. So with application services, you could patch that single component in a cloned blueprint so that your actual end users are still running on the known working configuration for your administrators. You clone the blueprint, you change the one component you need to change, deploy it, and can thoroughly test it before rolling it out to end users. From a blueprint creation perspective, it has a drag and drop interface, making it very easy to actually um, visually create those blueprints. And it also will allow you to have uh, deployment flavors of uh, different blueprints as well. The blueprints done can be actually published as catalog items in vRealize Automation so that your customers in a uh, cloud fashion, get everything through their self-service portal. So they don't need to call the IT team anymore. It is essentially a, um, a one-stop shop. The vRealize portal will allow everything for them. If they need some platform as a service, um, they will be able to log in into the cloud portal and get that. The link will also bring you then to a corresponding hands-on map where you will configure a vRealize application services blueprint and actually publish that through the vRealize portal. Next up is uh, Orchestrator. Orchestrator is basically the life of vRealize automation. vRealize automation defines several steps in the workflows, in the lifecycle management of a blueprint, and during those steps, basically during every single step from creation to install to destroy, you can run customized workflows with uh, vRealize Orchestrator. Orchestrator itself is an orchestration or an automation engine. It has a very easy GUI to use where you can essentially drag and drop uh, advanced programming tools like loops. Um, you can have decision trees in, in a GUI editing style if you want to, or you can use everything in JavaScript. It is extremely extensible in forms of plugins. Many, many vendors are actually writing VRO plugins to leverage the API of their solutions so that you can simply integrate the orchestrator with their solutions. So let's take an example um, that fits into the vRealize suite. There's actually a plugin for vRealize automation, and you can configure basic settings um, through, the, uh, through the orchestrator itself. Instead of doing everything manually via the GUI um, in the orchestrator interface, you can just right-click the workflow, run the workflow, provide the exact same data the API call would need, and then run the workflow, and everything is uh, off and it goes away. 
And essentially, this is the main tool to actually customize your vRealize automation deployment. The defaults will give you basic lifecycle management, but if you want to integrate your cloud with, let's say, your DNS services, um, with uh, advanced Active Directory uh, tools, with uh, something like an IP management system, Orchestrator would be the tool to use to invoke those at IP uh, at VM creation, uh, for example. I've seen customers use very, very extensive workflows that ran for hours um, that took care of uh, configuration management of a VM, that took care for software installation inside a VM to provide a uh, very complex system and completely automate that. And they all leverage vRealize Orchestrator to do so. The next thing we need to cover is the actual deployment and upgrades. So from an install process point of view, there is documentation that you can read, which I would highly recommend if you're trying to install vRealize automation in a distributed, highly available, scalable fashion. Normally, what people actually do is call up either a VMware partner or VMware PSO to plan and carry out the installation because in version 6.2, it is extremely complex. VMware has thankfully announced uh, that the vRealize Automation 7 version will actually streamline this process. There will be a new wizard um, to allow this. And um, if you're a Wii expert and have access to the beta, um, I'd recommend you to check it out because it is way easier to uh, install vRealize uh, automation in version 7. If you need the knowledge for the exam, for example, for the actual installation, um, one of the we realize guys that are on Twitter, um, Jet, has actually performed a live installation and a configuration of a basic vRealize um, setup. For a distributed setup, this doesn't change too much. The order of things on how you install, so deploy SSO first, then the vRealize appliances, prepare the databases, yada, yada, yada doesn't really change between, um, between basic installation and distributed installation. All the distributed installation will add, essentially, is uh, configuration of load balancers and um, configuration of SSL certificates. So if you actually watch those videos from JAD, you'll have a pretty decent idea on how to install vRealize automation. From a upgrade perspective, the thing you definitely will need to do is to check the uh, support metrics. vRealize Automation actually has its own support metrics um, in terms of database compatibility, um, vSphere version compatibility, um, other physical endpoints, virtual endpoints um, like Hyper-V, uh, SCVVM. 
um, cloud solutions like vCloud Air or vCloud Director. And before you upgrade, check that you're still in a supported environment. If you're running a SQL Server 2008 um, on a very low patch level, this wouldn't be the case for 6.2, for example. What you also should check out is the actual compatibility metrics then. The support metrics will outline the versions and requirements from a system point of view for realized automation. The compatibility and upgrade metrics will actually show you if you are on a supported upgrade path. VMware does not count time in terms of version numbers. VMware counts time in terms of release dates. So even though you might have a higher version number, an upgrade might not be supported if that higher version number has an earlier release date than an earlier release number. Uh, a good example here would be, for example, um, ESXi. If your or NSX um, regularly run into this issue um, that, for example, 5.5 uh, or 5.1 U3 was released before 5.5 uh, U2, and you actually then could not upgrade 5.1 U3 to a 5.5 U2 version. So definitely check the compatibility guide and the upgrade metrics there as well. From a point of what should you do before attempting the upgrade, even if it is supported, stuff goes wrong. Do a backup, snapshot all the appliances, and uh, involve systems. Ideally, for databases, don't do snapshots. Um, do proper backups. And normally, it doesn't hurt to pray to the upgrade guard system. vRealize Automation Designer doesn't have an upgrade path. It is basically a software you throw away and then install the new version. That might be important for the exam. It's, it's those tiny things that usually form good questions about it. Um, also, if you're using external orchestrator appliances, upgrade those first before you do anything else. For the upgrade to actually work, you will also need a downtime. So an upgrade cannot be done in a hot state. So you will need to actually shut down the environment. Um, with RabbitMQ being a very interesting service, you should also note down your shutdown order. There's actually a VMware KB and a, uh, a part in the vRealize Automation documentation outlining how or in which order you need to shut down the components, because if you do it wrong, the power-on operations will fail, or while the power-on will work, but the environment will not boot successfully. And you don't want to run into that. After you've shut down the environment, the actual upgrade order is, um, oh, wrong order here even. <laughs> uh, you would start with the um, SSL, if that is compatible with the version. Um, with vRealize 6.2, you can use um, the uh, PSC from vSphere 6 now as well, if you want to. Um, then you check the VAMI interface of the Vera appliances for the um, upgrade updates. Install those updates. Then you have to run a script against the IAAS 
DB to upgrade the database version and schema of the infrastructure as a service uh, server. And the last step then is to upgrade the IAS components. So if you have a one system deployment, that will be basically next, next finish. Um, if you have a distributed deployment, you would start out with the website, uh, then the manager service, the dem orchestrator, and dem workers. And the last step then is the dem agent. We already talked a bit about the um, integration with external systems as well. So the method of choice for external systems in most cases will be orchestrator. And for costing, it will be ITBM, or now we realize business. For monitoring, you will integrate vRealize Automation with um, Operations Manager. That's basically the three things to know there. The VMware Cloud Team and Hands-On Lab Team have put a tremendous effort to actually build a Hands-On Lab on this. And if you want to study for the exam and don't have a home lab that's beefy enough to actually run all those workloads, you want to have the hands-on lab 1632. If I just quickly go back to the lab here, it's one of the best hands-on labs I've seen so far from VMware. It is very, very extensive in terms of integration for vRealize automation with uh, other components, um, especially IP management, um, Puppet Enterprise will be part of it, um, how to integrate it with NSX for extended virtual networking, how to use the advanced service designer, and um, if you really want to run an automated cloud environment, uh, API is always also a very big thing. So this environment will basically run through the most common setups that you would actually do in a start out production environment. IP management, some sort of network management, and um, configuration management plus API settings. The Anything as a Service is also a very, very good and nice module if you plan to not only use infrastructure as a service with vRealize uh, Automation, but to integrate vRealize Automation into your own business applications if they provide a callable API there as well. Because those orchestrator workflows, you can write for that. You can actually publish them through the catalog um, as services as well. The, ex the com most common example you'll be seeing from a VMware point of view here is um, a reset of an Active Directory user password, because it's very easy to show. Um, in the actual installation, uh, in the video installation that Red recorded, he actually did that even. 
So he did this part, the XAS, anything as a service um, with orchestrator and liaison service design. Okay, next up is the actual, after, after you've deployed anything, uh, all the stuff and integrated it with the rest and if you haven't run into any issues, and issues are actually part of the blueprint as well. So um, let's just go quickly go over these before we continue with the um, system configuration. The most common issues and you will find those in the installation guides, in the troubleshooting sections. The most common issues um, people are seeing are uh, load balancer timeouts. So if you haven't configured your load balancer correctly, um, it will simply fail in a distributed environment. There is a very nasty issue with um, expired root passwords as well. It will let you log in with SSH, but um, the VAMI interface is completely down. So you can't even log in into the VAMI interface. There is a VMware KB on how to fix it. Basically, you either reset the password or you um, uh, reset the expiration timer. But you possibly wouldn't even be able to upgrade if the uh, root password is expired. If the website component fails, um, to install during the upgrade process, it's due to a time uh, timestamp and date stamp issue on a specific file, which is described in the actual upgrade documentation. And for for getting incorrect names um, on the tabs, it basically will not show the um, the proper names on the tab, like here items, request, inbox, etc., but rather placeholders com dot something dot something dot something. Um, normally, it's either browser language or it is um, that you need to restart uh, the components once more. Another big thing, especially when you're working with load balancers and don't have proper name resolution in place, is um, Etsy host files might get overwritten during the upgrade process. So if you hard-coded all your IP to DNS name resolutions, um, that might pose a challenge. If you're using the uh, platform services controller of vSphere 6, you will also be able to change the default domain from um, the default vSphere.local to something you like more. Um, we realize automation doesn't really like that, though. Um, the default tenant needs to be called um, vSphere.local. So on the actual system configuration part, there is two main screens where you would perform a uh, configuration. So let's just quickly log out here. And the demo gods are not nice. There we go. The first one is the actual 
screen you need to log in to to configure the environment for first use. So after you've deployed everything, you need to configure the default tenant, um, any possible additional tenants, and the default administrators of the environment to even be able to log in to that. So the first login into an environment will always be with the administrator at vSuit.local account because that account can manage global levels for the actual configuration. The default tenant will always be called vSuit.local and this ten each tenant can have different identity stores. An identity store is basically a directory service, be that um, Active Directory or OpenLDAP, and you will configure that identity store. So what you need to provide is a name, the actual type. Native Active Directory um, is the IWA, um, Integrated Windows Authentication. Active Directory is LDAP based authentication and open LDAP really means open LDAP 2.4 or higher. You need an URL. This is basically the FQDN of the uh, server you're trying to connect to. So you hopefully have a load balance service um, or a DNS round robin um, for your uh, actual servers so that if one goes down, you can still authenticate. Domain name, alias, um, login user DN, because each identity store, each directory service needs to be queried from vRealize Automation. So what happens on the back end is vRealize Automation will co uh, connect to the single sign-on or platform services controller and hand over a token or request a token, depending whether you checked the checkbox, use Windows Session credentials or don't use Windows Session credentials. And this token then is used in the software to actually authorize your tasks. So if you want to query the directory service for that token, you need read permissions on that directory service. And that is what the login user DN, the password, the group, and the user search DN are used for. After you've set up the at least one identity store, you can then define administrators. We realize where automation works on two main administrators. You've got the tenant administrators, which uh, will basically manage the um, user configuration, and you've got the infrastructure administrators. These guys um, are managing the physical infrastructure, so um, compute endpoints, um, fabrics, etc. There is specific administrators then for vRealize Business as well, which you can configure on the vRealize Business tab. There is administrators and service architects for um, application services. From a branding perspective, you can have a um, your own logo. You can change the company name and even the color of it. 
from a notification point of view, you can either put in a global email server here or overwrite that on a per-tenant basis. If we actually log in into the tenant, and the passwords and usernames you can actually find in the um, in the lab guides. One other objective is for you to be able to configure system notifications. So for every administrative tab or action basically, if you want to configure something on a more global level, you would, for settings, you would use the administration tab. And thankfully, notifications are configured in the notification. Um, for your own tenant, you could essentially overwrite the uh, mail servers to use your own mail servers. And then you have specific uh, notification scenarios. So these notification scenarios will basically uh, pop uh, a notification to a user if the status is set to active. The email templates can be, let's say, semi-configured uh, depending on the version you are on. Um, there's not too much choice, um, but there are KB articles for which notification email you can actually uh, completely uh, configure and uh, which you can't. Um, essentially, on, on the back end, it is saved in uh, configuration files. Um, you could hack those files if you wanted to. Um, neither the exam nor I would recommend that, though. <laughs> um, because VMware support won't be too happy about it. The exam also wants to know some stuff about advanced settings. And if you're actually operating a cloud environment, you'll kind of be forced to take a look at the exam, uh, at the advanced settings as well. So from a management perspective on the IIS manager service in program files x86, VMware DCAC server, you have this configuration file, the manager service.xe.config. And this file has a timeout configuration setting. And this part basically tells you um, or configures what, what timeouts are in the environment. So for example, max outstanding resource intense, intensive work items, this essentially translates to how many concurrent deployments can I run in my environment. There is also um, Timeouts for um, reboot, um, install tools, clone timeouts, etc. Um, the default timeout for most tasks, um, unlike the 20 hours these guys in the hands-on labs are using, is two hours. 
I actually ran into a scenario with, uh, with a customer of ours where um, we had such a complex workflow that software package installation on a VM creation would take about two and a half to three hours. So we had to jump into those advanced settings to um, increase the deployment timeout uh, for the bolts to actually succeed. So especially if you're running in a highly customized environment, um, these are settings uh, you would need to know anyway. Another advanced setting the um, XM will require you to know is the um, data center location setting. And there is basically two steps to that. Um, the actual file to, um, to modify the available data center um, locations lives on the website server. It's not enough to configure the locations in the file, though. Um, A, you need to restart the manager server to pick up the, the changes. B, a fabric administrator will need to go into the compute resources and actually enable compute resources for the location settings. Otherwise, they won't show up. If, if you don't tag the compute resources with the location settings, it won't work. The next step then is to also go into the blueprints and enable location settings for a specific blueprint. So there is a tiny checkbox that says display location on request. So if we go to the catalog and take a look here on the CentOS, that was my blueprint, I actually get the location dropdown now. If I go to a different blueprint where I don't have the setting, I would not, or normally I would not get the location setting. Interesting. 2012. Hmm. They have activated that. Or it's a bug. But normally you need to activate that on a per blueprint level. Let's just quickly check the wife blueprint. Ah, it's a multi-machine blueprint, that's why. The Windows one. Not a multi-machine. Doesn't have the tick box. I would call that a bug if it gives me the drop down. It shouldn't. <laughs> but these are basically the three requirements the XM will expect to know from you. It needs to be defined on the website server in an XML file. It, uh, the location needs to be defined um, on the actual computer resource. And the location additionally needs to be um, defined on the actual blueprint level.
from a vCloud Air point of view. I personally would um, concentrate on, for exam purposes, on the um, differences between um, vSphere endpoints and vCloud Air endpoints. Essentially, vCloud Air will be just another cloud endpoint, but it will leverage different constructs and um, different terminology from a vSphere endpoint. So, for example, what, what we have here, right, um, in a vSphere endpoint, you would create multi-machine blueprints um, by using VRA blueprints. By using blueprints you have already created in vRealize Automation. For a vCloud Air endpoint to work, you actually need to define the vApps, not the blueprints. They're not called blueprints. Um, They're called vApps in vCloud Air, and then map them to a blueprint in vRealize Automation. You can only provision VMs in vRealize Air as well. Management of the VMs will also happen in vCloud uh, Air. And um, networking is also defined in the vApp itself. From a um, vRealize automation perspective, you would define the networks. Um, if you have advanced networking technology like um, NSX, or like um, VCNS, you would actually do that on a multi-machine blueprint. Let's take this one. You can integrate that with NSX, and then you would have the network settings on the blueprint itself. So give it a transport zone, um, add the networking profiles, yada, yada, yada. For a vCloud Air endpoint, you need to do that on the actual VIA. Component VMs um, in a uh, vRealize automation um, design can also be added or removed. If you're deploying a VM, um, you cannot decide to, oh, I need a second web server in that VM because load is too big. Um, that's not possible in vCloud Air. Also, startup order. If you have a multi-machine blueprint, you can define the startup order and shutdown order of VMs um, using um, vRealize automation blueprints. Um, that will also apply to vApp um, templates uh, in vCloud Air. Again, since you map those to blueprints, um, It's kind of the same concept, but it's different on there. There is actually two hands-on labs um, that will give you a feature overview of what vCloud Air is. For those on the call who don't know, vCloud Air essentially is the public cloud offering of um, VMware and will basically give you um, vCloud Director instance access um, on a public cloud level, which then can um, be managed um, at, at your site. You can do something like 
data center stretching and connect the V-Shield Edge devices um, together so that you basically have a stretched layer two network um, into the public cloud for um, cloud bursting purposes, for example. Very, very nice feature. And the hands-on lab will essentially give you an overview over all the um, vCloud Air um, capabilities. And one tool to actually um, also transfer your workload is vCloud Connector. And um, vCloud Connector <laughs> is the, the actual exam blueprint around vCloud Connector is pretty complex. And it's probably worth a session on its own um, together with vCloud Air. But the bottom hands-on lab will have tasks in it um, where you can familiarize yourself with vCloud Connector. It basically works on a server um, client basis. And the server is the managing part. And then you have so-called nodes running either in your um, vSphere environment or in the private and public cloud environments, where the nodes are then responsible for the data transfer. So you can easily transfer um, VMs and templates from um, your own on-site, on-premises cloud um, into a public cloud environment. That is vCloud Connector in a nutshell. Um, if you use it to actually uh, stretch the environment into a public cloud to form a hybrid cloud, it will automate certain tasks like um, on the vShield edges. It will set the, uh, the NAT and the firewall rules so that you can actually connect uh, in a safe and secure manner. And that basically concludes the overview over section one of the uh, VCP6 CMA blueprint. The section is actually pretty complex. Um, if you look at it, um, do I have it open here? If you look at the whole section, I don't. Um, it has many minutious detail in there. Um, the actual detail is more or less important to learn for the exam. We can't simply cover it in in a simple hour, and we just open it here. It will always have a tools link in there. So all the, uh, all the concepts um, that I didn't highlight in this presentation will essentially be described in the, uh, in the actual tools links. Normally, it is a very good idea, and it usually always links to it as well, to read the install and configuration guide and to um, read the usage guide. Whenever you see something like configure in, in the task list of what you should know, the usage guide and the hand-on labs really are your friend. If it is something like explain or something like um, describe, it is more of a study kind of thing um, for open ports, supported versions, etc. 
um, there the install guide and the actual compatibility metrics are, are your best friend. And yeah, as I said, this would conclude today's sessions. Um, if you have any uh, questions, please use the chat or um, raise your hand, and I can unmute yourself to, uh, to, to ask the question. Otherwise, uh, we will cover objective two, uh, or we should be covering objective two um, on next Tuesday at the same time. And it doesn't look like we have any questions. So if you still have them, um, simply reach out to me via Twitter or join the next V Brownback and we can follow up on those. Thank you all for attending and have a nice evening or a good afternoon or a good morning. Bye bye.